Paul has been uh, talking the last few weeks as we've been working through chapter 2 on this contrast between life uh, before or apart from Christ and life in Christ. And just these, these great and wonderful, these profound truths. Um, he's going to jump into uh, this passage today in chapter 3 and kind of build on some of that thinking. It, we see that right at the very beginning in verse 1 uh, of chapter 3. It says, for this reason, right? And so he's been talking this, this beautiful union of Jew and Gentile, right? That Jesus uh, in his flesh has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and, and that there's now this unity, this oneness uh, in the church and this really great picture of uh, God's plan kind of coming to fruition that we are going to kind of dive into today. And now that he's going to kind of flesh this stuff out just a little bit and these, these wonderful mysteries of the gospel as he talks about it. But if you have your Bibles, uh, let's look at our passage together before we uh, dive in any further. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And Paul writes this. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as, I've writ as I have written briefly. When, I, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray uh, before we talk more on this passage this morning. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come before you now, and, and I, ask, I ask especially for your help this morning to preach the word truthfully and, and accurately. Father, I ask uh, that you would be in our midst. Lord, be here. Be in our hearts and our minds. Help quiet our, our souls that we might hear and receive a word from you this morning. As we examine your scriptures, this mystery of the gospel made known in Christ. So Lord, I pray a blessing on our time. I pray a blessing on, on the preaching and the reception of your word today. That our hearts would be ready. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Well, I have to be honest with you. Uh, this week, as I started studying this passage, I was kind of having a hard time uh, making sense of it as a sermon, right? You start looking at it, and I was kind of thinking, like, okay, it seems in some ways like Paul's going uh, through his 
his credentials, if you will. He's like, yeah, I've been given this grace from God to preach to you, so that's what I'm doing to make known this mystery. And it's like, okay, well, what do you do with that in terms of, of a message? What is it uh, that, that Paul is wanting the Ephesian believers to uh, understand from this writing? What, what's he uh, wanting them to glean? And then what are we supposed to do with this? And as uh, we sat in it, one thing kind of kept coming back, that Paul and his emphasis is on the ministry of the gospel. And so what I want to do today is hopefully draw out some principles from Paul's ministry and and his writing here to the church in Ephesus about this great ministry of the gospel, uh, what it is, how how it kind of works itself out, that hopefully you and I today would even be encouraged in the ministry of the gospel, uh, both as it uh, ministers to us and through us, right? And much of what Paul's going to say is going to kind of bring that to light. And as he works through this, it's, it's hard, and this is what I kind of felt in my heart this week, is he talks about this mystery, right? Four times in our passage, Paul refers to this mystery of Christ, or, or this mystery of, of the gospel that's been revealed to him. And it drew uh, should draw our attention back to chapter 1. If you were here uh, when we started this series, and in verse 9 of chapter 1, uh, Paul talks about how the mystery of God's will is being made known to us according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And we talked about that mystery not being a mysticism, if you will, or a mysteriousness in the sense that God's will can't be understood or known, but it was a mystery in the sense that it was hidden or it was secret, that God hadn't revealed these things yet. And, and Paul alludes to that again in our passage today. In verse 5, he, he talks about this mystery of Christ that wasn't made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the, by the Spirit. And in some ways... Uh, what I'm, what I'm about to say, you could, you could take so far into where it'd become unhealthy in this view of dualism, right? That good and evil are just kind of duking themselves out. But uh, God had kind of kept his, his hand hidden, if you will. So anybody ever play the game of chess? in here any chess people okay so yeah uh-huh yeah uh so game of chess is one that i'm not always very good at i make really poor decisions when you play and uh but sometimes you, you play the game and, and you have these aha moments right so uh, if, for those who don't know the game of chess your goal is to checkmate your opponent's king you're to put them in a position where where there's no move in which their king can survive and and so you're you're working these things out and as you're playing the game, you're planning and you're strategizing and you're positioning yourself and your pieces so that you can fulfill that goal of checkmating your opponent. And I, I recently had the great joy, uh, the great joy, truly a great joy of playing a friend of mine in the game of chess. And as we were playing, I was looking at the board and I was like, oh, I see checkmate. I, I can beat him. Uh, it was about four moves down the road, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, I, I got to work this out so that I can position myself for checkmate without tipping my hand, if you will, because I, I don't want my opponent to see what's coming because, you know, maybe he's going to try to thwart my, my, my strategy. And so I'm working all these things out, and it's going swimmingly. I got to say, everything was going right according to plan, and we worked it all out and got down to the end, and I took that final move, 
where I put my opponent in checkmate. And my opponent's sitting across the board from me, and then they say, how did I not see that? It was right in front of me the whole time, but all while, I thought you were doing this. I thought you were going after my queen. I thought you were doing something else. But wouldn't it be foolish, right, in some sense, that in the game of chess, you would say, here's what I'm doing. I'm moving my knights and my queen around because uh, what I'm going to do in a couple moves is put you in checkmate. And then it's like, well, the, the purpose of the game is kind of lost. And, and in some ways, and this is why I say you could take this, you could take this to, to a, an, a, an unhealthy position, that it's not that God and the devil are just duking it out and God's just trying to hide things so the devil can't destroy his plans. But certainly from, I think we could say from the devil's perspective that he doesn't know all things. The devil and his demons are not all-knowing creatures. As a matter of fact, the angels themselves are not all-knowing creatures. The, the attributes of omniscience belongs to God and to God alone. And God, it, to a degree, kept his hand hidden, Paul is saying. These things weren't revealed to past generations, but now they've been revealed. Uh, we've made these things clear. Now, this doesn't mean that, that God hadn't given indicators, that God hadn't given signs and things pointing to this plan. You see that all through the Scriptures. But here, Paul is saying that this great mystery of the gospel, this mystery being as he outlines it in verse 6, that the Gentiles, these dirty, filthy Gentiles that the Jews wanted nothing to do with, they have been brought into this. They are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so as Paul outlines this ministry, he does so. And as he does, I think we could say that the mystery of the gospel is both simple and very deep. Okay, Simple in the sense that Paul summarizes it in one verse. It's like, here's the mystery. The Gentiles are, are part of this. Simple in the sense that uh, Paul can say in verse 3 that I've written about it briefly. You, I mean, think about this. The, the, all that we have been discussing and studying for the past few weeks, Paul's saying it's just a, a brief exposition on the gospel. I've not even began to plumb the depths of the wonders of this good news, but I've, I've basically just laid out the basics, is what Paul is getting at. So it's, it's simple in that sense. Uh, and, and we ought to be careful that we don't muddy the waters then of this gospel and make it more than it really is. But we also need to be careful that we don't fail to plumb the depths of the gospel. And that's what Paul is going to kind of be calling us into. This ministry seems to be continuing, right? It's not that Paul is saying the ministry of the gospel was, was getting you to salvation and now you, you church in Ephesus, the ministry of the gospel is done with you. The ministry of the gospel is continuing on. And so it, it's deep. And so that Paul can say uh, that he can speak that he has been sent to preach in verse 8 the, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 11, Paul uses similar language. How unsearchable are God's judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And so the, the gospel, this mystery of the gospel, simple but deep. Simple but deep. 
deep enough, mysterious, secret enough, if you will, that it had to be revealed to Paul. He speaks of the Spirit revealing it to him. And so if we were to look at this ministry of the gospel, we could say that the ministry of the gospel, first and foremost, what I want to draw our attention to is one of revelation. The ministry of the gospel is a ministry of revelation. And that it was revealed to Paul, it was revealed to the apostles and the prophets, and then if you notice in our passage, there seems to be these, these ever-widening circles of this revelation. It starts small. The apostle Paul, the other apostles and the prophets, and then uh, Paul speaks that as, as a an apostle to the Gentiles. He says, on behalf of you guys, uh, that has been given to me for you. He says, at the end of our passage, don't uh, lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Uh, speaking of these Gentiles, that, that now this, this circle of revelation is, is kind of expanding to bring in the Gentiles. That it's not just something for the Jews, but Paul is preaching this mystery, preaching this gospel, ministering in this gospel to them. And then as you look down into to verse 9, it, it expands even more. Uh, Paul says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Right, so you, as the Gentiles are folded into this, as the Gentiles are, are being made known as fellow heirs, members of the household of God, Paul's saying this, is, this shows to everybody that this was God's plan from the very beginning. This is all, as a matter of fact, what he says in verse, uh, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose. This wasn't God just on the whim saying, oh, I got to call an audible uh, because my opponent has... No, this is God has determined this from the foundations of time and has been working this out so that now all people would see and know what the manifold wisdom of God is. Even so that Paul brings it to another level. He says, it's not just the people that are seen, but God is making known even to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And that's a pretty significant deal. Because what was once hidden, if you were to look all the way back even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed belong to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, the prophets searched carefully about the Christ. They learned they weren't ministering to themselves, but to us. Hebrews 11 speaks of those who uh, looked ahead and saw these promises from a distance but never received them. And now... What Paul is saying is in verse 10 is kind of this exclamation point on this passage. So that God revealed it through His Spirit to, to me and the apostles. We've revealed it to the Gentiles to bring light to all the people. So that what? So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a rather significant role that has been placed on the church, isn't it? That's kind of a big deal. It ought to heighten our view and our understanding of what the church is actually all about. Because we live in a day and age where church has kind of become a cultural thing. But what Paul is saying is that God has, is working in a cosmic sense, even in ways that we, are un, we can't see, we aren't fully grasping through the church. 
so that through the church, the wisdom of God is being declared to the heavenly beings, to the angels, to Satan and his demons. This is a wonderful testimony of the ministry of the church and who we are as the church. This isn't just some light thing that we do for cultural purposes on a Sunday. If that's our view of church, our view is far too small. But God is, if you, if you will go back to chess for a second, he has put his opponent in checkmate. And the fullness of his plan has now been made known. So that the church has become an everlasting testimony of his triumphant victory for all to see and all to know. And that's a significant deal. That through us as the church, God's making known his wisdom to the angels, to the demons. even to the devil himself. Kind of a great calling that God's placed upon us. So great a calling that at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul's going to say, you better walk in a, worthy, a manner worthy of the calling that which you've received. It's not some light deal. Because this salvation, this plan that God has been working out is, is in a sense, it is a wonder to the, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Second Peter chapter 2 says that God didn't spare the angels when they sinned, but he cast them to hell and he committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the final judgment. First Peter chapter 1 says that this salvation is one in which the angels, they long to look. And so uh, these, these, heavenly, these beings in the heavenly places, these rulers and these authorities, the scriptures are telling us that this, this is a, a wonder to them. That when the angels fell, God did nothing about it but cast them to hell. There was no redemption offered to them. There was no salvation offered to them. But, but us... These people who for a while have been created lesser than the angels, when they sinned and when they rebelled against God, God sent his own son in their likeness to dwell among them, to redeem them and save them and to restore them to a relationship with him. And the angel's like, whoa, what love God must have for these creatures. What significance that we have been called children of God. So that now here we are in Christ, having been made new, that the old is gone. This is what Paul is going to lead into all of this, right? Chapter 4, you've been made new, so put off the old self. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. You've been made new in Christ. This wonderful picture of what God has done. It's amazing. So that now, as the church, we stand together as an everlasting community of believers from every nation, tribe, and tongue. From all cultures, from all times, of all ages. United in Christ to His glory. It's a great deal. 
It's a wonderful thing that has been given, and we are God's testimony to all who would witness it of His, etern- uh, His eternal, undeniable, irrevocable victory that was secured in Jesus Christ. This was all according to the eternal purpose that He has realized or carried out or brought into effect in Christ Jesus our Lord. So shouldn't this give us some greater consideration to the nature of our calling as Christians? Shouldn't this cause us to think for a moment on the significance of who we are as the church? To consider this calling? To consider our conduct and our commitment within this body of believers? This is not just some light, happy thing that we do to catch up with each other on on Sundays. The church is not just some social club where we get together to have fun with people who think like us. The church is not just some self-help group that helps us figure out how to live the best life that we can possibly live right now. The church isn't just some structure that we gather in. The church is is a cosmic declaration of the victory of God for all eternity. Which means that though we meet in a small number, in a small building, in a small town of the United States, there is great significance to who we are in Christ. And all it makes me think twice about it. And all it makes me think about the, the calling that God has placed on me. Because what Paul is saying is, guys, listen, you Gentiles who were far off, you've been brought near and God is doing something through you guys that in, quite honestly, we probably don't even, we don't fully understand what God's doing. There's a responsibility and a role that has been placed on the church. So while the ministry of the gospel is one of revelation, that it's been revealed uh, by other, to others, that it's been revealed to us, so that hopefully we would take it and be revealing it even to other people as well in our lives and the ministry of the church today, that the, the ministry of the gospel would continue on. But it is also the ministry of the gospel is one of responsibility. It's not just a show up and do nothing kind of, a, kind of role or blessing that we've been called to. You'll notice in our passage how Paul speaks of his responsibility in the ministry of the gospel. In verse 2, depending on what translation you have, he says that assuming you've heard of the stewardship or the commissioning, depending on which translation, of God's grace that was given to me for you. In verse 7, Paul says that of this gospel, I was made a minister or a servant according to the gift of God's grace. Verse 8, he said that he received this grace to what? To sit on it? To bury it? To preach it? He goes on, uh, verse 9, his role also to bring to light for all people this, this wisdom of God, this mystery of the plan of God. So Paul is not looking at this and saying, this is great, the ministry of the gospel is awesome, it got me salvation and now I'm good. 
Paul says, the ministry of the gospel has changed my life, has given me a responsibility that I did not once have. It's exactly what he said in verse 10 of chapter 2. You're not saved by works, but you're saved for works. The works have been created beforehand for us to walk in them. There is a responsibility in the ministry of the gospel. And God equips us to fulfill that responsibility. Because uh, as you'll, you'll notice, Paul does not assume that this is something that he can just do in his own strength. But he says that it was given by the working of God's power. Verse 7. It's God working through him. It's God ministering through him. It's God's grace at work. And so God is the one who, as we continue in the ministry of the gospel today, we depend and rely on his grace and his power to work in and through us at all times. Because who am I to think that I could stand up in front of a church and babble my mouth for a little bit and effect change if God's not in it? What, what good do we think there is in, in what's happening with our children downstairs? Hearing a lesson from God's word and learning the, the profound truths of God's word if God's not in it. It's nothing other than babysitting. What, what's our small groups? What are they all about if God's not in it? Just another night of the week to get together and talk about things, philosophize on life and religion and we depend on God. It's his power at work. And to Paul, he viewed this responsibility, this grace that was given to him as a gift, as one that ought to be stewarded. It's been given to me. I want to make the best of it. So Paul says uh, that you know, he is the least of the saints. I don't think Paul's just using some pious hyperbole to be like, oh, yeah, you know, this false humility of like, you know, yeah, I'm the worst. Don't think I'm so great. No, I think it's an honest assessment of himself. So that in his attempt to steward this grace that was given to him, Paul busted his tail for the ministry of the gospel. He worked his tail off. Jake, this is what you've been bringing up, the passage, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul could say this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not because of me, not because of myself, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This responsibility to minister in the gospel is one that ought to be a devotion of our lives where, no matter where you find yourself placed, that you have a responsibility as a member of God's household to minister into the gospel in that place, to minister in the gospel here in our local church. And Paul's saying, listen, guys, there's a lot of work to be done. Let's get after it. The ministry of the gospel isn't one that, that leads us to idleness. It's one that leads us to activity, to work, to dedication, to devotion. So the question becomes, what grace has God given to you? How has God equipped you to minister the gospel? Paul had a very clear understanding of his calling. He was called to go to the Gentiles and to preach to them. Sometimes we don't know the clarity of our calling in that way, but yet 
We've been given a responsibility, a gift to go and to use it. And then the question becomes, if, if you recognize the grace that's been given to you, are you being a good steward of the grace that's been given to you? Are you taking out, oh, Jeremy, let's just pause for a minute. We're talking about the Apostle Paul here. We're not just talking about some average guy like me. Paul's like a super Christian. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Of course he would, he would kind of be so devoted. He would work so hard. I'm not so sure that this applies to me. But it does. We all may be gifted differently, but the same principles apply. We have received grace, given as a gift by God. That God has made us ministers according to the gospel. And that he has given us gifts that we might steward them. So whatever your gift is, steward it well. And work your tail off to make the most of what God's given you. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter writes, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk, and in chapter 4, Paul talks more about the, the specific giftings and the unity of the church and how all these things, we, we work together in this stuff. But for right here and for right now, it's important that we stop and we recognize that we have been given a responsibility in the ministry of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we talked about it in small group, that we are ambassadors for Christ that God is making his appeal through us. Through the church. That by God's grace, he has given his church the privilege and the opportunity to minister on his behalf. And yet, sometimes, some of us would pass on that opportunity and say, I'm going to sit back and wait and see if somebody else will step up and do it. When I wonder if the, the proper understanding of it would, would be, and I, I don't want to be condemning here, but, but motivating, uh, that we would rather see the, the glory of this gospel that God has given, that we get to minister, and we say, I, I could be part of that? I, you mean to tell me that I could minister in this gospel? Me? With my weaknesses and my shortcomings? And Paul says, yeah, it's in our weaknesses that God is strong. Because any strength that we even have is a gift from God. So let's look at this opportunity that God has given, not to say, yeah, it's a really cool thing, you know, it's, it's awesome that God saved us, and, and I'm just going to kind of sit back and kind of watch from afar of this ministry of the gospel that keeps working itself out, that God is continuing to do, and say, no, let's get in the game. Coach, get me off the bench. I never signed up so I could ride the pine. Put me in the game. Give me a role. 
I look forward to contributing and we work our tails off in it, depending on God all the time. What's the old saying? You work as if it all depended on you, but you pray as if it all depended on God. What could the Lord be doing? What is the Lord doing? In a local gathering of believers just like us. Where from the outside, the world may look and say, what, what significance may come from Jabinah? What good could come from Nazareth? Is not the Spirit of God with us? Is not the Spirit of God in us? What an opportunity. What a privilege that God has given us to minister. And sometimes the, the great uh, struggles that we have in the church, and I think it, what it boils down to is, is, quite frankly, sometimes we have an awfully small view of the gospel. And what I mean by that Sometimes I think we view the gospel as nothing more than just getting saved. And then after that, you're done with the gospel. That the gospel is only for the lost and not for the saint. Sometimes I think when we have a small view of the gospel, we tend to have a small view of what God may be doing or able to do through us. How could God use me? Why would God use me? Well, do you not know that you were a sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins, deserving of the wrath of God, but that by His grace, as an act of his love for you, made you alive together with Christ? That he has prepared good works for you to walk in and to do? That he has put a calling on your life, on you? What a wonderful opportunity that God has given us Sometimes when we have a small view of the gospel, we consequently have a small view of the church, our role, the responsibility within the church, because it's not that big of a deal. But man, to Paul, it was everything. When we have a small view of the gospel, we're very unlikely to sacrifice for the gospel. We're more unlikely to Suffer for the sake of the gospel. Let's not forget Paul's writing this letter as a prisoner. Verse 1, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Uh, all the way at the end, uh, verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. This gospel is significant. It's, it's worthy of being inconvenienced by is worthy of suffering for the sake of this gospel. And I wonder, where is that? 
Do we have that sense of the gospel that it is such a, a wonderful gift of God that we would suffer for it, that we would be willing to sacrifice and be inconvenienced in the ministry of the gospel? Because what Paul is saying is like, what he's saying to these believers, like, listen, guys, the gospel, yeah, it's, it's a, the ministry of the gospel is one of revelation. It's one of uh, responsibility. And it's one of resilience. Keep going. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Because let's put it in perspective. They hear word that their founding pastor is locked up in prison on account of the gospel. And what does he say? It could be discouraging because for some, they're going to look at what that may be and say, eh, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? I mean, I got a family to feed. I got a job to go to. I got stuff to do. Is it, you know, people are locking up Christians around Shabna. Some people are going to start saying, I don't know. And Paul's saying, don't lose heart. As a matter of fact, I imagine his, his attitude is more like, see, if I'm locked up for it and I've not forsaken the gospel, I've not turned my back on the gospel, let that spur you on. That the gospel is worth this. It's worth suffering for. As a matter of fact, at the end of our passage, he says, it's for the suffering that he's going through. It's your glory. Probably meaning that it's on account of his bold and confident preaching of the gospel to these believers, to the Gentiles, that Paul is finding himself in prison in the first place. So it's a good thing that I preached boldly because you've heard the good news. You've believed it's your glory. The gospel, the ministry of the gospel is one of resilience. It's one that says, man, let's push through this. Let's continue on. And we recognize the, the, hardships, that may, the hardships that may come as a result. The consequent sufferings. And we count the cost and we say, it's worth all of it. It's worth the inconvenience to my schedule. It's worth the, the, the risk of the reputation on my name to minister in the gospel. Because to Paul, in his understanding of the ministry of the gospel, suffering it just comes with the territory. You want to minister in the gospel, you're going to be inconvenienced and you're probably going to suffer for it. You guys remember the old show, uh, uh, Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe? Well, maybe it's, I don't know. It seems old to me. I've not seen it in a long time. Maybe it's still, is he still putting episodes out? Okay, well, this new show, this ongoing show, <laughs> Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. What does he do? He goes and finds these filthy, awful jobs. He learns about them, and he gives them the old college try himself. For what purpose? To say, these, there's a value in these hard jobs. And as he talks to the people, they tend to always have this sense of pride in what they do. So yeah, they're getting down in a pit full of you fill in the blank. But it's their job. It's what they do. And so the grossness and the disgustingness of all of it, it's just part of the territory. When we minister in the gospel, inconvenience and suffering is part of the dirty job. Ministering in the gospel is not just some flowery business that's like, hey, it's going to be great all the time. You want to minister in the gospel, you're going, to, you're going to walk through the muck with people. You're going to have to deal with difficult things. You have to have hard conversations. You're going to have the people dislike you. 
Even within the church, people may push back and not agree. It's not promised to be some rosy, happy, smell-good, feel-good ministry. But a ministry, a ministry that's worth it. Worth it because this, this good news that's been given that, that we are adopted in the family of God, that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Is it worth it for somebody else to be ministered to? Is it worth it for somebody else to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the gospel? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth the sacrifice? Is it worth the suffering? Paul would say yes. And the testimony and actions of believers that have gone well before us would, would affirm that. The life and ministry of our Savior would affirm that. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That we are afflicted in every way. But not crushed. Perplexed. But we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted. But we are not forsaken. We are struck down. But we're not destroyed. Do you see the resilience? We suffer, but it's not that bad. It's worth it. He goes on, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, he says our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, he's saying, whatever suffering we may, we may receive on account of ministering the gospel now, is, it pales in comparison to the glory of eternity. It pales in comparison to the glory that the lost may, may find salvation in Christ. It pales in comparison with the goodness of the church being nurtured and ministered and grown into all maturity so we're raised up to our head, which is Christ. So any suffering, it is worth it for that. The ministry of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is one of resilience. Is there any sacrifice? Any inconvenience that maybe standing in your way that you look at and you're like, I just, I don't know right now. Pray about that. I recognize and there's, a, there's legitimacy to seasons in life and, and, and times in our lives when we're, we're equipped or prepared to be doing something in times where we have to say, no, I get that, but let's not be too quick to make excuses. I think there's a, there is a privilege that God has given to us to minister in the gospel. A privilege that God has given us that we get to be the ambassadors of this message to the world. Privilege that we get to minister to each other in the gospel. To train up and equip and, and, and encourage one another. To support one another. To challenge one another. To go through the challenges and difficulties of life with one another. 
to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to mourn with those who are mourning, to, that we get to do this as members of the household of God. So the ministry of the gospel, it's one that is a ministry of revelation to the world, both seen and unseen. The ministry of the gospel is one of responsibility that calls us to action, to work our tails off for the sake of the gospel. And it is a ministry of resilience that we might see it through by the faithfulness of God to the end. Amen?